0: You're listening to Why We Do What We
1: Do. All right, this is Abraham. And your co-host Ryan O. And so this is Why We Do What We Do. And it's just the two of us again.
0: Yes. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's nice to be back. Yeah. Uh, Super excited. We did have some folks that helped us on the script, right?
1: Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Uh, Yeah. So we'll say just right now, thanks to the Brits. Um, not not the, not the British. Right. Although, thank them for listening. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but uh, Brittany Bowerly and Brittany DeSanti. Yeah,
0: Brittany DeSanti. Perfect. Yes.
1: Uh, thank you. They did a lot of preparation on the uh, research for this one. So so
0: see. today we are talking about the da, 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 law of parsimony. Right. Also known as Abraham?
1: Occam's razor. That is right. Probably more commonly known as Occam's razor, actually. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's start with a uh, jump right into this thing. We've got a, kind of a lot to potentially cover, depending on how deep we want to go.
0: For sure. I think it's best start with just like, what is this? And very simply, it is a problem-solving principle that states the simplest solution tends to be the right one.
1: Yes. Now, this is not a law of science. This is not like... Um, a mathematical proof or anything like that. It really is more of a, a heuristic. This this falls in the category of things like epistemology, uh, philosophy. We're talking about how we know things, how we believe the things that we've learned through scientific endeavor. And, and yeah, just a simple idea, just as you said, that go with the simplest explanation first.
0: Love it. All right. To dive in a little bit more, to make that a little more practically useful, we would just be making sure that whatever our explanation is, that it's made up of the fewest possible assumptions.
1: Right, that's really the critical piece. It's not Simplest doesn't mean that it sounds easy or that it's even easy to talk about. Simplest, in this case, really just refers to the extent to which it involves the fewest assumptions and that those assumptions are sort of scaled back so that they're not because you can have you know really large assumptions very small assumptions we actually discussed this a little bit in a previous episode but this is a deep dive as we promised at that time that we would do on. when was that like a year ago no actually that was only um that was maybe five or ten episodes ago at this point i don't recall good job team (laughs) We're (laughs) closing that gap that's right well some of it there's some um, things <laughs> we billboarded up front that have still never happened. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. We're getting there. So this
0: heuristic is really basic to all sciences. I mean, have you thought of anything? Have you seen any fields that haven't used it? Really, that are in the sciences?
1: That are in the sciences? No, I don't think so. Okay, I think there are plenty outside of the sciences that yeah. use this all the, that
0: that that would completely ignore this all the time. So it should be the simplest scientific explanation that fits all the evidence that's available.
1: Right. Sounds uh, simple.
0: A little bit hard when you're talking about all the evidence all of a sudden, right? Yeah,
1: that's that's a that's a tall <laughs> order, but it's okay. It's the general approach of be considerate and mindful of the the number of assumptions that are required when making something like a hypothesis, right? Yes. And so when we're presented with more than one competing hypothesis, in order for us to solve the problem that we're working on, we, te- we should pick the solution which involves the fewest possible assumptions, the hypothesis that involves the fewest assumptions, that sort of thing.
0: Which sounds simple, maybe, but you're talking about now trying to fight your own history of like rewards and good stuff coming at you for the things that you've liked, right? Right. You've already
1: figured out a way of doing it.
0: Yep. So you could be the person in academia. You could be the researcher, the practitioner, whatever it is that your role is and something that you kind of have been developing, looking at and believe in all of a sudden, if there's something more simple out there, this can create a little bit of a conflict, I'd say, right?
1: It certainly can. And so, and I think that will be great. We'll, we'll get a little bit more into some of the applications as we've discussed this further. Let's take a step back real quick and go over some of the history of this, where it comes from, who's involved in this, and that sort of thing. Okay. All right. So originally, the idea is often credited with an English Franciscan friar. He was a, he was a philosopher and a theologian. He worked at, with the church, and his name was William of Ockham. I wish I was named like Ryan of Donegal. (laughs) (laughs) Those
0: times were awesome, man. We should bring that back. So I don't know a lot about his uh, history. I'm going to be straight up honest. I haven't really dove into it. It looks like in general, like many things, it doesn't really get coined and you get a lot of credit for it until after you've passed, unfortunately. right. Looks like that was true here with him.
1: Yeah, so the term didn't actually appear until he died. and He died in 1347, and after that, the term Occam's razor came about. It did, of course, refer to some of the philosophies that he was pushing at the time. As I said, he worked for the church, and he actually—so he, he was very frugal. Um, he often would— uh, I think prevent. I'm not,
0: he, I'm not surprised. Yeah,
1: right. Uh, he so he had he had a very strong philosophy about not having things and not having too many things and not being and hoarding wealth and that sort of things. And he really felt that the church actually was not even as good at this as he thought that he, it should be based on its own teachings. Um, and so he actually ended up being excommunicated from the church because of some of this. But um, nevertheless, just to go to the term Occam's Razor and. So why would they call it Oh and also this is William of Ockham. I don't know that his they would have said his last name was Ockham maybe but yeah. we refer to him as Ockham just interchangeably for the sake of consistency. Sounds great. All right. And so what I was always wondering though is why razor was attached to it.
0: Yeah, right? It sounds like it comes from when you have these two hypotheses you're trying to shave away unnecessary assumptions and kind of see what you're left with at the end.
1: So Which you one start is with the most simplistic. So you start with Ockham's beard. Occam's beard, yes. (laughs) You you cut it, (laughs) cleave it in two. Or you start with two bars of
0: soap and see which one you get down. Sure.
1: (laughs) Okay. All right. So, uh, taking credit for the phrase was a theologian and scientist named Liber Freudmont. I don't know if that's supposed to be French. Maybe it's Libert but it looks like Libert a <laughs> Freudmont. And uh, the invention of this uh, heuristic and, and the name for the heuristic came about from the idea of the razor of shaving away those assumptions, as well as Occam, uh, William of Occam's association with it, and then also possibly the frequency and effectiveness with which he used that, uh, that concept.
0: So the most popular version of this statement is, quote, entities are not multiplied without necessity.
1: It's kind of a double negative in there. Right. <laughs> so our entities wasn't are...
0: That a, wasn't that a thing back then? I mean, going back to... Oh, like, sure. Like, if I were to lump everything, like Shakespeare and all this
1: Lots together... Tr- like double, triple, quadruple negatives. All of the together, yeah. <laughs> probably, probably.
0: <laughs> okay, so we're talking about parsimony. Simplest <laughs> explanation.
1: Yeah, and so um, I don't know if we've actually used that. No, we did. We started with that term. But, the, yeah, the term parsimony... It has another definition that some people know maybe better than the way we're using it here. Parsimony can also refer to not spending any more than you have to. And so in a sense, being really careful with your money financially. And so you might be parsimonious with your spending. But that actually, it maps on exactly what the definition we're using here, except in this case, you're sort of spending your money, if you will, with assumptions. So you're not putting forth any more assumptions than you absolutely need to to move forward with a, with a hypothesis in the same way that you wouldn't put forward any, money, any more money than you need to to purchase something. Um, and so you're not being overly indulgent. But it is the same essential idea that if you hear those terms used interchangeably, parsimony, Occam's razor, that's because they are essentially the same term
0: all right so you said you want to rewind let's rewind even further because as with most things in science multiple people talk about the same thing all over the place so this can go all the way back to aristotle
1: yeah right yep aristotle was one of the first but then
0: there's also john dunn Scotus. as it looks like yes uh robert gross gross
1: kind of looks like grossest but i think it's gross maybe
0: okay as well as, how do you say that one? I
1: would guess it's uh, Mayam Okay, great. You're really good at
0: speaking <laughs> those sort of things. Um, so- i good with my
1: speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> All right, so I really like a lot of the things that these people had to say, and I think that it really nicely communicates the spirit of what we're talking about with respect to parsimony and Occam's razor. And so I'm going to quote Aristotle first. He said, quote, We may assume the superiority sateris paribus, other things being equal of the demonstration which derives from fewer postulates or hypotheses end quote so again just this whole idea of it is it is a better theory or statement that involves fewer postulates in this case uh, he's talking about assumptions another one is claudius ptolemy often famous for like astronomy type things Uh, he said quote we consider it a good principle to explain the phenomena by the simplest hypothesis possible end quote similar idea uh, there was another uh, 13th century uh, scholarly writer who wrote, quote, it is vain to do with more what can be done with fewer, end quote. And, quote, a plurality is not to be posited without necessity, end quote. And in this case, plurality is actually another synonym of an, the idea of multiple assumptions. It's a word that's not really used that much anymore to make that reference, but it was one that existed. And then finally we had this Robert uh commentary. I think that's how you say his last name. And he's talking about the uh, the – Aristotle's analytic books as well.
0: So this is a long one. It says, quote, "...that is better and more valuable, which requires fewer, other circumstances being equal. For if one thing were demonstrated from many and another thing from fewer equally known premises, clearly that is better which is from fewer because it makes us know quickly, just as a universal demonstration is better than particular because it produces knowledge from fewer premises." Similarly, in natural science, in moral science, and in metaphysics, the best is that which needs no premises, and the better that which needs fewer other circumstances being equal. It's a
1: lot of words. That's a lot of words to say very similar things. It's actually funny that there is more words to say. <laughs> like it's better to be simple. So here's a thousand words to say <laughs> yeah. how good simple is. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's pretty great. So. But I think there's one thing in there I, I do like in particular where he stresses this idea of there. If one thing were demonstrated from many and another thing from fewer equally known, it's clearly better than one from fewer. And this is the whole idea of like the work smarter, not harder sort of thing. So it's like if you can arrive at the same conclusion using very few assumptions, very few postulates, very few things that are unknowns – versus you can arrive at the same conclusion using many postulates, many assumptions, mm-hmm. many unknowns, then the one that gets you there the easiest is the better one to choose for a lot of reasons. They also tend to be correct. But that's, I, I like that, the point that he made in there. You know, I actually just, it occurred to me here now, late in the game for this episode, that <laughs> we haven't really talked about why we, we would be talking about this inside of a psychology podcast. So, I mean, what, what do you think? What's, what is the purpose of bringing this up? My first thought is, Everybody experiences
0: human behavior and like psychology of themselves and others. Like, we're all wondering why we do what we do. Roll credits. Right. All the time. Sure. Got it. By the way. And <laughs> Just a little bell ding. Right. <laughs> um, and so, thus, like, many of us, not to discredit it, but like, we all have our own views and it can get really messy all of a sudden. We all think that we understand what's going on. Right. We have our different interpretations. There's different ways to approach this with psychology, as we've discussed on this podcast. So, kind of look at it as anybody who's interested in why we do, we do, which is a majority of society probably. um, At least to some extent. Yeah, to some extent. Has a massive number of options with which they're trying to understand which is the most useful. And I think there are so many that tools like this will help you kind of cut down and find which ones have the most teeth in them to start. Does that make sense? Sure. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's
1: where I'm at. I had another thought relative to yours, which was that when we talk about a lot of psychological concepts, and I think that we've been fairly critical of some of them <laughs> sometimes. And, and you know, to say. Yeah. And also, you know, we want to be in praise of the ones that really merit that level of praise. Well, it comes up a lot that part of the reason that we become critical about something is that it it's one of those examples of something that requires a lot of assumptions about something. And I've actually used... Many instances where I specifically compared something that would be the opposite of an Occam's razor to something that would be, well, not the opposite of an Occam's razor, that would be like in contrast to the idea of Occam's razor versus something that would be consistent with the idea of Occam's razor when discussing some of these phenomena. Like early on in some of the episodes we talked about, I mentioned where you might say, why did someone do this? Oh, because a magic elf was hiding under their hat that was controlling their brain. And it's invisible, and it's tiny, so you can't find it and can't prove that it's not there. And that could be what's happening, but it requires an enormous amount of assumptions about how the universe works and how the world works, where it might also just be like, well, I told them to do it, and that's why they did it. Bam. <laughs> right. Very simple, very straightforward, requires very few assumptions, because I can you can go back and watch the recording of me telling them that person to do that thing. And that's why that's an example of an extreme version of the Occam's razor where you have something that's completely ludicrous, like a Mm -hmm. little imaginary elf creature controlling your brain. And there are other psychological concepts that show up that are even inside of what we might call research that use a, in my opinion, almost similar level of assumptions and suppositions and, and reaching that far as a way of explaining behavior. And explaining why people do what they do, why they think what they think, why they make the choices that they make, that when they invoke those concepts that are just so out there, and it sounds intuitive and fine to everybody else because they, you can sort of understand where they're coming from when they say something like, well, it's their their intrinsic problem solving schema about math, you know, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right. And I'm, and I'm going to go, okay, let's take a step back. Did you teach them how to do math? Because if no, then I have a simpler explanation. Then their intrinsic schema is broken, yeah. you know? So, and nobody has said that to me, but just as an example of that's one of those areas where we take An explanation that someone just throws out there that maybe sounds intuitive, it maybe sounds like you can relate to it, it maybe sounds like something you can even hear. And so, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And when you really think about it, it doesn't make perfect sense. And there's probably a better explanation. And so we're always challenging and pushing the answers that we have to see, is there something that is better? It's simpler. It requires fewer assumptions.
0: I think it's a good transition for one other point, which is um, anyone trying to understand this, it's not like a... Uh, this is a quote mindset, right, of how to try to approach understanding these things. And it's not necessary to discredit your experience, but to say, hey, let's relook at that through this scientific lens. And how can we find something that is like really useful and shows value repeatedly over time, right?
1: Yeah. So let's go ahead and move a little bit forward in time. We went back and then back again, and now I want to go forward again from there. Still back from where we are currently, but we're trying to catch up to the, the present time now. So Isaac Newton said, quote, we are to admit no more causes of natural things than such as are both true and sufficient to explain their appearances. Therefore, to the same natural effects, we must, as far as possible, assign the same causes, end quote. And so, obviously, a little bit more recent. Other philosophers offer versions of Occam's razor, Bertrand Russell, is also more contemporary. I believe he was in 20th century, 19th century?
0: I believe so, yeah.
1: All right. I believe it's 20th century. And um, he wrote, quote, Whenever possible, substitute constructions out of known entities for inferences to unknown entities, end quote. So, again, just similar thing that... Use the stuff that we know, the stuff that makes sense, the stuff that's concrete, as opposed to things where we have to make assumptions and inferences about stuff that doesn't necessarily exist. This also is relatively similar to the idea of, I don't know if we've actually talked about it on here, but uh, Karl Popper's philosophy of falsifiability, right?
0: I believe we referenced it way early on, yeah. um, but we never dove into it. No,
1: I don't all. think we have. I'm, I'm not sure that it warrants a full episode treatment length, but essentially, Karl Popper was a philosopher who also made a similar claim that. a a philosophical or any kind of statement really a scientific statement a philosophical statement whatever it may be it, it is only legitimate if it can be proved to be false that means that what he's really saying is it must be testable it can't be based on something that can't be observed out in the real world out in the universe whatever and that's not exactly the same but you can see how they're related
0: so we can bring this then into like 1960 ray Solomonoff.
1: yep that was good
0: was really trying to put this into a theory, predicted so he could like start predictions based on observation. His goal was to take Occam's razor and start to put it into this mathematical formulation, which we've talked a little bit onto here about the problems with trying to put natural phenomenon into these perfect mathematical relations, right? Yeah, they can be problematic. I've never explored this one. Have you?
1: No, but these are all I think con. These are all concepts I've actually heard before, and just. Other ways of talking about this. Okay, so some of these other ways of approaching this are include one called ontological parsimony. A lot of big words in there. I mean, two, <laughs> two big words in there. 100% of words that are big. <laughs> and this states that the relation between a language and certain objects postulated to an extent still in existence or surviving by that language.
0: There's also the rule of simplicity, meaning uh, sparseness.
1: Right. An idea of a zebra, which is used in medicine... And this means that doctors should reject an exotic diagnosis when a more commonplace, easier explanation is more likely. This term is derived from Theodore Woodward's dictum, when you hear hoofbeats, think of horses, not zebras. So the idea of like, if you hear something charging, you're thinking, oh, it must be zebras running down the road, probably not zebras, right?
0: Which makes me think about what are the number of, uh, what would that be like, a false negative? Like they're identifying something that it really isn't.
1: Oh, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. A false negative is like detecting an absence of something that is actually there.
0: Yeah. So like, does that fit where it's like, oh, we think it's this more simple one, but there might be something actually out there that's very, 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 very rare that actually does explain this, right? Oh, uh,
1: yeah. I suppose that could be the case.
0: Yeah. There could be like these super rare cases.
1: But I think the more so let's say, for example, you have something like a cold and uh, you could you you get a cold and someone tells you that might be make, make up something that is going to be shark disease that you have and it's fatal um versus like well it has all the symptoms of a cold so we're gonna assume instead it's a cold yeah (laughs) it makes the most sense so far could be shark disease which is made up and yeah not real but maybe you know but probably a cold (laughs) we'll we'll treat it as a cold and we'll go from there but obviously there's some danger in that you can see because there are a lot of diseases that have uh, symptoms that overlap or intermix or there can be multiple things going on and so but, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, just assume that everything is shark disease, yeah, or are you yeah, going to like, do yeah. the best that yeah. you, you can do with what you what you do know about that particular problem?
0: For sure. All right, shift back then. Uh, the principle of economy, which was formulated by Austrian physicist Ernst Mach, states, scientists must use the simplest means of arriving at the results and exclude everything not perceived by the senses.
1: Right. In our culture, the layman formulation of this is commonly the simplest explanation is usually the correct one. It's just, you know, a thing that people say, right?
0: Yep. I like this. The senses now kind of extends into sensors, right? Oh, all yeah. Things. <laughs> I like it. Just a, a fun thing there.
1: OK, so how does this all relate to things like doing research and science and all that sort of stuff with like an empirical approach to understanding? Like how does how something that exists in philosophy relevant to doing actual scientific, like applied scientific work?
0: So Occam's Razor has gained strong empirical support in helping to converge on better theories such as uh, science and the scientific method. I think you can insert all the sciences here, right? Yeah.
1: There's a lot of things that we have specific information on, but I think that we just blanket, say, fields of inquiry that are like science. Yeah. Yeah, that's where it is. So uh, is this something that we can test?
0: Yes, 100%.
1: Perfect. Depending, you get it in the right design, research design, right? Yeah, I mean, to an extent. I've, I think there are ways that would it would be more difficult than others, but yeah. Yeah. All right, so to test the statement, a simpler hypothesis is general than a more complex one. You have to essentially compare simple versus comparatively complex explanations, and you have to apply it to a, a question or a problem that would be the same for both of them so that you can actually compare what those would propose. So... Basically, if you have the a simple explanation versus a complex explanation and the complex explanation is more is correct more often than the simple one, then the validity of Occam's razor as a tool would have to be rejected because it would be it, it would not correctly account for the better explanation in a, the situation of a particular problem. However, if the opposite were the case, which is to say that the simpler explanation is correct more often, then that would lend support to the idea of Occam's razor as a philosophical tool.
0: And so our original statement is saying that there's empirical support for this, is that this has helped us, largely across all sciences, get down to what is working more often, which is typically the simpler solution, correct? Yes, I, yes. I believe that's a good across way to put the it. across sciences.
1: Perfect. All right, so in some cases, increases in complexity are necessary. But what I think is sometimes misleading inside of this is that because there are a lot of variables to consider that makes it seem like it's complex, those variables don't necessarily inherently come with more assumptions. They can. And that's often a consideration. And we've talked before on the show about certain things that are well understood inside of even most mainstream psychology. I always like to use the example of impulsivity and delayed discounting as a, as a as an example of one that has more assumptions than I guess just a starting position where you have to make an assumption about okay well what is the relative contribution of something like value and how it affects someone's choice making in an instance where they have to their their ability to access their the outcome of that choice is delayed. If that's a relevant variable you have to make some assumptions about how something like value could work as something that causes or affects or changes behavior. And and that's a little bit more than would normally be done in a study where you're trying to simply understand what's happening in a in a pattern of responding in something. That being said, there are certainly more complex explanations that could be involved and that one just happens to include more variables. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. And one thing that's a little bit of a side tangent you made me realize that I want to bring up is remember as you look at anything that's out there and you're trying to like use this lens to understand what's what's better right mm-hmm. maybe for your solutions that you're looking for right we are in this capitalism capitalistic society to where the one that is oftentimes marketed best could look best right that's like, a good point it's it's not always I would say I would go as far as to say it's like these two things aren't necessarily compatible like w- people are trying to convey like my thing is the best usually yeah Rather than this thing is probably the best based on science, right?
1: <laughs> that is very accurate. I think I don't know if this is exactly in line with what you're saying, but I always like to use, I like to talk about movies and use as, a, as an use them as an example. And so, within the last year or two, there was like a Transformers movie that came out that had millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars in marketing, I'm sure. And then there was... Yeah, millions. (laughs) Definitely (laughs) millions, millions, (laughs) that's fair. And then there was the movie by uh, Wes Anderson called Isle of Dogs, which had some amount of marketing, to it but certainly not the budget that Transformers had and the Transformers movie not good and the Isle of Dogs movie very good and mm-hmm. so <laughs> that's just because one of them was going to be much more present have a lot more marketing tell you this is the the best movie to go see right now yeah absolutely when really just looking at the circumstances of the economy of like where it makes sense to put as much pressure on something as possible to get a, more, a bigger return on that investment that doesn't necessarily mean that's the best product or the best service that you could receive
0: Yeah. So as you're going out there, just always question whether or not the things that you're trying to understand are, like the materials you're consuming, are those there because they're an advertising thing or are they there because they're trying to really say, here's the value of our theory or hypothesis?
1: Well, and to that point, I think it is fair to point out that sometimes the thing that's marketed best is the best thing that you can get. Like that can happen too. Mm-hmm. So it's like this podcast. Exactly. really <laughs> <the> joking. <laughs> the best one you can be listening to. We've, we've clearly, <laughs> clearly had that position the whole time. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Uh, okay. So we, where need we get at? back on
1: track. It, this show could definitely be called side tangents, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> let's just move on.
0: Can to... we fast forward into applications here?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Great. So, how would we use Occam's razor when we're trying to do this research, when we're trying to do this? And, you know, we just talked about putting Occam's razor to the test inside of a kind of study, if you will, and uh, and how we might apply that to try and determine if there's good evidence to support it as a as a rule moving forward in terms of how we might evaluate the quality of a hypothesis or a, a supposition or something like that. Okay. Yes.
0: So there is a bunch of scientists, famous things out there that have apparently applied this Uh, in their formulation of their theories, right? Yeah. So going into Einstein's formulation of special relativity, I know absolutely
1: nothing about this. Beyond that, (laughs) I don't know much else. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but I think, well, the point of this and talking about his theory with respect to uh, Occam's razor is like that is a very, very simple mathematical function that describes kind of how the universe works. And obviously it's, it's with respect to a very specific set of things inside the universe. In this case, we're mostly talking about the the speed of light and... and Celestial
0: bodies and all these sort of things, right?
1: I mean, basic physics things, yeah. right? So E equals MC squared doesn't necessarily tell us why a kid picks his nose and eats it, but it does tell us something about how we understand things when we look into space and how we measure time and that sort of thing. So um, it's in that way, it is a very, very simple an elegant way of representing the relation of those major variables out in the universe. I think
0: we just found our quote. This is going to help us market ourselves, <laughs> market ourselves into fame.
1: Yeah, <laughs> e, EMC squared e equals MC squared. Does not explain why a kid picks his nose and eats it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So there's also the theory of quantum mechanics and in chemistry, there's applications as well.
1: Yeah. Fair to say that's fair. Okay. Let's move on from there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Obviously, parsimony is the preference when you're, you're trying to implement the scientific method. And parsimony requires that scientists accept the simplest explanation, even when it's one that doesn't necessarily support the hypothesis that they were working toward or the outcome that they were expecting.
0: Or their venture that's built off of the science, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. What's the famous quote that was by, I think, B.F. Skinner that was something like, if something interesting happens, stop everything you're doing and research it?
0: When you run into something interesting, stop everything else and study it.
1: That. It's on the wall here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Perfect. Yeah. So that's that's an, an example of. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit different. But the general idea being here that when when it stops, it stops working the way that you expect it to work, and something else happens. Awesome. Like go yeah. after that. Like that's your new that's your new endeavor in science, and that is an example of. I was off track the first time. Now I'm on track to something that's really great that, you know, that that's, that's good parsimony, you know, I think is following those, uh, those, those pieces of evidence and really sticking to what the evidence shows you and not what you want the evidence to show you.
0: Which is a good kind of an additional use of this is it can help you eliminate those theories that seem like crazy or just way too complicated, right?
1: Yep, exactly. So like the theory that global warming is a hoax by the Chinese government, that's, Ridiculous. (laughs) And so I don't pay any attention to it. Throw it out. (laughs) It's useless. Fake news. Fake news. All right. But within science, repeated experiments and additional data collection, as much data collection as you can get, often supports the advance to more complex theories, things that essentially involve more variables. Again, not necessarily more assumptions than do the original data would have been provided by the original data, right?
0: Yes. And to follow off that a very important point here is that these simpler explanations may eventually be ruled out due to new data coming to light.
1: Yes, exactly. As a great as such a great point is the fact that sometimes we will arrive at something that seems like all right, we didn't quite figure this out. Maybe it requires something a little bit more complex. This now seems to work a little bit better. Um, And then additional data is going to come along and say, oh, we totally missed this other stuff. So this this previous explanation that we had landed on as being the best is no longer valid. Happens all the time. Like that is what science is. I actually think that this is a really great example for what's going on in research with dark matter and dark energy out in the universe is that there are a lot of people trying to figure out what's going on. And essentially... The, the, the short version of this is that looking out into space, galaxies and stars don't move the way that they would be expected to move given our understanding of gravity and, and mass, essentially. And so it seems like something else must be accounting for how those things are moving is one way of addressing that, that there must be something out there, some mass that exists in the universe that's doing this. Or it could be that we don't understand gravity the way that we thought we did. And so there are people who are working on trying to look at the math, see if different math is needed, trying to look at the actual things that are out in the universe and see if there's just something we're not seeing. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different ways to approach this and the the dark matter as a label is just to say it's unknown. We, we can even just call it, there's the unknown thing out there That's yeah. w- that we don't really know what's going on. And it actually doesn't necessarily mean it's an entity, it just means it's an unknown. But what's cool about that is that what all the explanations that are happening moving forward, they're helping to clear the path of things that have been proposed before, and now we have better evidence to make those uh, those explanations either go away because they, they require too many assumptions, they don't really fit the data anymore, or develop new things that will replace the ones to make them, that could even be more... Complex potentially.
0: Yeah, which within psychology means hopefully we're getting better and better and better at understanding why we do what we do. And then we can also be better at influencing or understanding our own behavior, whatever it is that we're interested in after that.
1: Thank you for bringing me back to Earth. Yes. <laughs> I love to go out into space. It's a problem with me. All right. So we've used so many examples from various fields of science and research. And I went out into space a couple of times and all that was great. But let's I really think that it would be great for us to use the time that we have left to talk about how this relates specifically to topics inside of psychology. Okay, And so one example I'll bring up personally is uh, something called facilitated communication. Also called Rapid Prompting Method. And I think there's another name too. Which, yeah,
0: I don't remember what it is, but this is actually really relevant right now. Apple, have you seen this? No. Uh-uh. Put out a video kind of like backing this in a way. Oh, no. Yeah. Like not backing, but like advertising, like the the, the typical things we see of the effects that can come from, quote, rapid prompting method of facilitated communication. But, spoiler alert, there's a big issue here, right?
1: Okay. Uh, yes. So... We're going to have an upcoming episode that talks more about, actually a whole episode just dedicated to the idea of facilitated communication. Went away, came back as rapid prompting. We're going to discuss what's going on inside of this in that episode, but really briefly I'm just going to talk about what's going on. The idea was that if you have someone who has very low – developed language, usually an intellectual or developmental disability, and they have very uh, limited communication skills that if you just give them a keyboard and someone to help them type on that keyboard, they'll be able to communicate magically and like write books and stuff. Yeah. And what, just a spoiler alert from the upcoming episode, what happens is that it, all of the research has shown that the person who was helping them do the typing is doing all the typing. And we'll explain in that episode what's going on. But essentially, uh, so many things came out of facilitated communication slash rapid prompting where it was people getting accused of things that they didn't do. It was people getting, like – college degrees that they didn't earn, um, people doing all of this communication that was not them actually talking that was resulting in, like, lives getting destroyed. It was resulting in money getting lost. It was, like, very high-stakes type situations that was going on based off of this completely fraudulent idea. And the evidence... And is, and it continues. There's
0: degrees in this country that you can get that focus just on this uh, RPM.
1: Yes, and it's amazing because the evidence is so blatantly clear on what's going on. So if we look at and say, okay, we put someone in front of a computer and they start typing and we have those two, these these two explanations. One of them is that all they needed was uh, a couple of keys and all of a sudden the fact that they never practiced language before is irrelevant because now they know grammar. Um, and that's really cool. And the other, uh, and, and because there's keys in front of them and because they're, their mind reading wizard, uh, can use them as a Ouija board to make them produce words, which is to say the person who's holding them their hand and having them do the typing is going to create words for them. The other explanation is the person who's holding their hand is typing the words for them and is coming up with all of the same content, right? Mm -hmm. So those are your two explanations. And so we got to figure out, all right, the one that involves the person developing magical abilities they've never had before and the person is actually being controlled by someone who does have those abilities, which one requires the fewest assumptions? The one where the person has, who's doing the controlling is the one who's actually doing the typing. They're the one who has all the skills and understanding of how to create grammatically correct sentences, right? And so that's, those are the two comparisons. And that's something you can very clearly put to the test. And the test showed facilitated communication is totally pseudoscience, totally bunk. It is inaccurate and it is harmful. And there is just not room for it. There are there are more. There are more. Remember when we did our uh, animal assisted therapy episode, we talked about the idea of swimming with dolphins, which in and of itself is not necessarily inherently a problem. What's a problem is believing that that's going to cure autism. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And there's so many other examples of this where there are these pseudo treatments that are supposed to cure autism through some magical mechanism that is supposed to happen. there was um, a restaurant I went to here locally is unrelated to autism at all, but. They had this video playing. they had it was just like stock videos that would play and it was it was mostly like a slideshow that was going and one of the slides was something about how walking barefoot in the grass at night would allow your feet to absorb energy from moonbeams. I mean what? I'm actually not entirely sure what the outcome is supposed to be here, that you have more energy or that you have more moonbeams or something. But whatever is going on, like clearly we can apply an Occam's razor to this, per- this particular circumstance and say, all right, can I assume that my feet absorb moon moonbeams? That seems like a big assumption. There's no reason to believe that that's the case. Can I believe that it can absorb them from walking on grass? I also don't think that that's the case. Can I believe that the grass absorbs the moonbeams so that they can be transported into my feet? Were they there? Do I believe that the grass should be able to transport moonbeams? Do I believe that if I'm walking out the grass at night? I mean, it just goes on and on. Like, there's so many assumptions that have to be inherent in this idea that for some reason walking barefoot at night is going to help you absorb moonbeams, which I don't. I didn't know I was lacking in moonbeams to begin with, but but apparently that's a thing according to these people. And so that's just another explanation of like, that's, it's a pseudoscience, and it does not meet Occam's razor. It is, it requires too many assumptions. There are certainly better explanations for what could be going on.
0: I dug a little bit more into that beautiful rant that you just went on. The So one, yeah, (laughs) Uh, I dug in a little bit more into the Apple reference that I had. So I'm actually wrong in that it was two years ago when this came out for Autism Awareness Month, uh, 2016 of April video is called called, uh, Dylan's Voice, and you can find copies on other YouTube channels. It just kind of gets re-uploaded and then pulled down for copyright infringement by others. I haven't found an official thing on Apple, but my point there was these things can get picked up and talked about because they, at their heart, are trying to focus on something that's so important, right? But... Mm. This is a good example, I guess, of like something that looks and feels great could be perpetuated because it looks and feels great.
1: That's a great point. And I'm always glad that you are here to sort of have that that angle for me where I get excited, and I don't want to talk about things in a way that's <laughs> But also it's it is important to understand the the other side of this is why do people why do people cling on to this? Yeah. Why does it stick around? why did it come out in the first place and and because it offers it offers hope and it addresses something that was important and because some nobody else was promising the kind of outcomes that they were promising yeah
0: right or as you're talking about like someone that markets very well like Apple on yeah. their phones all yeah. of a sudden can put something out that looks really great and i will say that uh, if anyone from Apple is listening to this awesome hit us up b <laughs> i don't know uh, exactly what it is it was a focus on the accessibility of like, making uh, technology in the world more accessible. Okay. So maybe there's some magic going on behind the scenes here with, like, algorithms and things that are going on. Oh, but they meant real magic. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like, Probably not. Um, <laughs> but uh, it just really, really does not look like that. It looks like uh, a perpetuation of this rapid prompting method and facilitated communication.
1: Right. And we'll tear that apart when we get to that episode. But, I mean, honestly... There are just many, many, many things inside of psychology that we could apply this to. Uh, Repressed Memories is another episode that we have coming up. is a very similar thing. That is just think about it in terms of when you have an explanation of behavior, is there a better one? Think about a, a very common way here is someone lacks motivation. Like, mm-hmm. okay, that might be the case, but what does that mean? Does it mean that you haven't provided any kind of incentive? Let's say that they uh, some student isn't doing any work and they're like, well, they just don't want to be here. Okay, maybe that could be the case. Uh, how do you know? And what are we going to do about that? Or we'll talk about something like this person's experiencing depression because their psyche is out of line with Jupiter. I don't know. Okay, uh, maybe, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like what else could be a better explanation of that? Anytime you hear these explanations, it's just good to think what is a better explanation that requires fewer assumptions and sticking to what are the things that we definitely know versus the things that we kind of have to infer. If you have to enforce first a magical entity that's controlling a brain, then that's probably not going to be the right answer very often, mm-hmm. if ever. Um, and <laughs> instead, if you focus on what what is currently going on in that person's life that would make sense of this, then uh, that's probably a better at least starting position to be. Cool. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's kind of all we have for this episode. Do you have anything else you want to tackle? Any other pseudosciences you want to throw into the bus while we're here?
0: No. Be skeptical. Yeah. And the law of parsimony has uh, helped tremendously in my life. And that's not like what's good in my life is good for yours, but just explore it a little. Yeah. It's fun to think about in your everyday life, uh, listening to others, like when whatever environment you're in, thinking about your own reasoning as to why things happen in your own life. It's it's a fun thing. It's been useful to explore.
1: I'll add that for myself, challenging myself, being willing to be faced with people who disagree with me, hear their arguments, try and make their arguments and from that point of view, that's allowed me to be right a lot more often, which I enjoy doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> like if you want to learn more about this stuff, be willing to be wrong about it. Like that's that's really the the yeah. I think if you can you can sit there and listen thoughtfully and consciously and intentionally to the opposition to whatever you believe then that will allow you to have better a better way of arguing and you might actually find that you were wrong sometimes mm-hmm. um, you might also find that you were right and now you know why the others the, the opposition to whatever your opinion is why that exists and why they believe what they believe there have been many times in my life where it came down to I thought the other person was just wrong but it turns out we just have different there are things that are important to us in different ways. That It's not that they're wrong. They just – they are approaching it differently than I am. And if I were to approach it the same way they did, and I'm really specifically thinking about there's – I'm not going to go over how this works necessarily, but yeah. it was a conversation I had with a psychologist about a particular concept, and I was just thinking, like, why – why does it seems like you are not going far enough. You're not asking the right questions. Yeah. And his response was actually really great, was basically – I'm not interested in that element of it. I'm interested in this element of it. Like I want to see how well I can talk about it mathematically. This was essentially what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's like, so like that's that's where I'm doing my research is to focus on. And I'm like, oh, it didn't occur to me that like you wouldn't be interested in the things that I value. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So, but I had to, I had to put myself in a situation where I could be confronted by that answer so that I could understand the position better and have a more informed opinion about it later. Okay. That was a lot of stuff.
0: I love it. Any like wrap home, take home points?
1: I mean, I think I think we hit a lot of them just talking about be skeptical, try and challenge yourself about these things with parsimony. I will just say if you to walk away with nothing else, parsimony and Occam's razor means accepting the or leaning toward, I guess, an explanation that requires the fewest number of assumptions. That means in a way that it's the simplest. But just because it doesn't have a lot of variables doesn't mean that it's the simplest or the most complex. Mm -hmm. Right? It really has to do with how many assumptions are required for that to work. Yes all right i think that's a big thing
0: yeah that's great actually i can think about how that's applicable to something i'm gonna be doing later today thank you you just taught me something great you gave me some words i'm glad (laughs) all right so thanks again to the brits again the british listeners but what we're talking about here is really Brittany, uh the two britneys that help us out with the scripting and putting this all together Uh, yes thank you immensely um it is great to have you on the team yes thank you the listeners that is... Oh, I have one
1: quick thing. Okay. It just occurred to me. So I asked recently that if you are enjoying the show and you want to support us, um, and one way you want to do that, that is not by giving us money, is to go leave us a review. That's great. Oh, I'm act- so helpful. Yes, very helpful. Uh, we always appreciate that. Also... If you are interested in reaching out to me specifically, Abraham, I monitor the SoundCloud comments. So I'll be reading those and responding to those. Very nice. Uh, Ryan handles most of the other uh, social media stuff.
0: Yep. And uh, Miranda and Shane are actually on that often too. Perfect. Miranda a lot on Facebook and Shane and Miranda on uh, the Instagram.
1: Right. And then Ryan and I both monitor the email. uh, Yes. So uh, you can reach either of us there. And then uh, the last thing is... Similar to the idea of leaving a review is I'm going to ask anybody who enjoys our show even a little bit to tell someone else that you think uh, might like our show. Tell them to give it a listen. Recommend an episode or a topic or something. See if we can uh, reach a few more ears out there. Just a word of mouth sort of thing.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for however you help. This is uh, Ryan O. This is Abraham. We're out.
2: listening to why we do what we do. Why we do what we do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreoncom podcast You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at www.wwdwpodcast on your favorite social media platforms.